is holy, is set apart, that others might see that we are So do this work in us. We might be so alive. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Be seated. This week, when we were doing devotions at home one morning, I asked my children what type of things do they get uh, concerned about. Types of things make them anxious. What do they? What, what what kind of trials? We were talking about trial trials. What kind of trials do you go through? So I asked the kids, and I asked finally our youngest, who just turned seven. I said, Titus, I said Titus, what 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 makes your days hard? What what kind of trials do you go through? And he said, I got a puzzled look on his face, and he said, Getting out of bed. <laughs> Maybe that makes you anxious. Maybe getting out of bed is what, is, is what really plagues you and worries you. One reason or another. But this anxiety and worry is certainly something that we all battle from time to time. Some more so than others. Isn't it interesting that we place on our currency in God we trust? And we place it on money. And isn't it interesting that often... It is the money in which we're actually trusting. We're trusting in having enough money to help us pay our bills. We're trusting in having enough money or possessions so that we can be popular or have what the Joneses have, have what the neighbors have. Isn't it ironic that it's on the Maybe it should be a question mark on our money, on our quarters. I think they talk about taking that off. Maybe it should say, in God be trusted in question. Maybe that would be a means of grace to help us reflect upon who we're actually trusting. That's what this text is about this morning, folks, is trust. It's about trusting God, isn't it? Isn't that why we get anxious and why we worry? It's because we're not trusted to have a misplaced trust in money or possessions or things. This is what Jesus just got done talking about in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 19 through 24, when he says, Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, from off the rust, throughout the thieves, where again and still lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That can't happen. You got treasures in heaven, you got to worry about thieves breaking in and taking it. You got to worry about it rusting or, or the weather or doing anything to it. You lay up treasures in heaven. Don't have an undivided focus. Or undivided loyalty. You can only have one master, he says in those verses. But the things of this world grow too large too often. We begin to worry, we get we begin to get anxious. Worry and worry and anxiety, when you really think about it, where is it at? It really is. And that is to minimize those of you who might have serious problems with anxiety. Not trying to minimize it. But worry and anxiety truly is all in our heads. It truly is. When we worry and we're anxious, it doesn't mean what we're worrying and anxious about is not legitimate, that we shouldn't be concerned about even there's legitimate worry and anxious in some cases. But it truly is all in our head. We believe that God is sovereign. We believe that this world is not the product of random chance. 
worry is not only in our head, but it can also affect our hearts. Jesus wants our hearts. Amen, church? He wants all of us. Anxiety has become what some pastors have called the acceptable sin or the respectable sin. We have sins that we struggle with when it comes to being anxious. It's, oh, bless your heart. Oh, bless your heart that you're worried. When in fact, numerous times in this text, Jesus says, do not be anxious. And if God says, do not do something, and we do it, then what have we done? We have sinned. So many times in our society, there's certain situations where somebody might need medication for certain things. I believe that certainly we are an over-medicated society, an over-psychologized society of seeking all kinds of this and all kinds of that. When the, when the problem is in our hearts is why we have this anxiety and worry. That's where it all comes down to. It is a heart problem ultimately. So, in the eyes of the world, it's worry and anxiety a lot of times an acceptable sin. It's a respectable sin. It's even called a sin at all. But Jesus will have none of it. Jesus wants all of our affections, all of our focus, all of our loyalty, all of the time. He doesn't say there are certain circumstances or situations that you are going through now or might go through two months from now in which it's acceptable for your affections and your thoughts and your focus to be consumed with that. He wants your mind and your heart, your affections, your loyalty to be consumed with Him all the time. If they're consumed with Him all the time, we ain't got time left over for anything else. He wants undivided loyalty. No wind straddling here. No neutrality. So when he speaks about money earlier in the passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5, he's saying money is like a mirror. It's a means of grace. You look at your money, you can kind of tell what side of the fence you're on. If you're really following Jesus or you're just following the world. So Jesus says loud and clear in this passage of Scripture, really the main point of the text Stop being anxious. Keep seeking the kingdom. He says keep seeking the kingdom because most of the people on the mountainside of the Sermon on the Mount would have been individuals who were in the kingdom. They've been born again. Not all of them, but many of them. He's saying keep seeking the kingdom. Stop being anxious. Keep seeking the kingdom. That would be the message to you today. Many of you, not all of you, but many of you are born again. Amen. You're the children of the living God. And He's saying to you, stop being anxious. Keep seeking the kingdom of God. Man, that's easier said than done. Stop being anxious. Thanks a lot. There was a water leaks here a year and a half ago. Two or three different times. We had some serious water leaks in the church. And one time I came in, see, like two or three times I came in and found the water leaking. And one time I came in the back of the church, back of the Teaching is in the back, and I heard something, and opened up the door, and there's water on the floor, there's water on the carpet, and I don't know how to turn it off. And so I called David Saltzgaber, because I knew he knew all about the building, so I called David, and I said to David, David, where are the cutoff valves? Where, where do I go to turn off the water? How do I turn this thing off? And so David calls, and he tells me what to do. I go down to the basement where the valves are at, and I begin to turn them, and he finally comes 
And when he gets here, he, he shows me exactly where it's at. Because I couldn't find it. He turns it off. Because this water, this leak, was causing all kinds of damage. That's what worry and anxiety does. It, it's, it's damaging to our hearts. It's damaging to our families. It's damaging in our witness. And we need, like David came to show me how to turn it off. We need Jesus to show us how to turn this off. But it's easier said than done, right? Just, just stop being anxious. Turn it off. Try it up. That's not what Jesus is saying here. It's not that he's not empathetic. Right? The fact that our God came down to this earth shows that he's empathetic, that he took on flesh. And he's speaking in this text and he's saying to his people, the tongue is too God. He's not screaming it out like I am here, I don't think. I think he's saying. He's given some real practical ways of reminding us as his people that he loves that he's created. Here's some reasons why. Here's how to turn this off. And what he's saying is this. You notice the way that Jesus is preaching here in these words. The illustrations that he uses. You're, how many of you are very familiar with this passage of Scripture? Look out at the birds, you know. I mean, we've, a lot of you have heard this all your life. How many times has it been a means of grace? You've heard it all this time. You're going through a difficult time. You're worried. You're anxious. And all of a sudden, you're sitting outside. And you see birds flying on the ground. Eating and you're reminded, man, this is what Jesus said. He's supposed to be this way. A lot of the illustrations Jesus is using to simply call us back to biblical things. Well, it's not a place. <laughs> saying don't worry, be happy. He's not uh, saying think happy thoughts. Or, Here's the power of positive thinking. Jesus is calling us in this text to simply stop thinking like the world. And to start thinking like a believer and acting like it too. To be somebody who really trusts God. Not just say in God we trust. But to really trust Him. Rely on Him. So two things about this text. I'm going to summarize it up. As we walk through it together for a few minutes. Number one, I believe what he's saying is trust your Father who created you. Trust your Father who created you. When I was a seminary student in Louisville, Kentucky, at the Southern Baptist Seminary there, there was this great big large tree. It's been cut down now with this large tree on the seminary lawn. Uh, I was a single guy at the time and I prayed about a lot of things that were making me anxious at the time. And so I was sitting under this tree and Thinking about God, how He created me. And I, I was sitting on a bench underneath the tree that was there. I reached down and scooped up a handful of dirt. I took that dirt and thought about how God made me out of dirt. It was dust. And I blew into it. You know what happened? Nothing! Got dirt in my face. It blew in my face. And I did that, I was reminding myself that God breathed into dirt. It became a living soul. It just, and it just didn't become alive. This dust that Adam was made from just didn't become alive, become a man. He breathed a soul into it. This wasn't just an animal he was creating. Through that dust, he was creating somebody in his image. And I want you to notice what your Bible says in verse 25. 
She says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Look what he says at the end of verse 25. Is not life more than food? In the body more than clothing? Isn't life more than that? So here's God who's breathed life into us, made us alive, but he's breathed the soul into us. We're not just animals. And is God not going to clothe this person that he's created? Is he not going to put clothes on them? He does that later when he realizes they're naked when they've sinned. He makes the first sacrifices, right? And clothes them with animal skins. Is he not going to provide food for this, for this thing, this, this person he's created? It's not life more than that. Life is more than that. What Jesus seems to be saying here comes to biblical worldview is to, as Christians, as believers, is to look out upon the world and realize sometimes we do knock our spiritual glasses off and, we, and we're looking at the world the wrong way. We're looking at the world in a sci, purely scientific, random type of way, but instead we need to put our biblical glasses on, put the Bible on, and, and realize God created me. God created birds. I'm not a bird. He says, so he says, look. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So have you ever seen worried birds? You see, you see robins out on the, out on the lawn? Just, we, didn't, we didn't plant the crops last night. I mean, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we've not done our work so we can get the words. What are we going to do? You ever seen any birds out there like that? I haven't seen any. I was looking out last night, kind of thinking about looking for birds on the yard. I was thinking about this passage of scripture, and I did see a robin hopping around. It wasn't, it wasn't panicking, but I also saw some bread on our yard. Because we had some moldy bread that we had to throw out in the morning. It was moldy, and so we, I, I'd thrown it out on the yard. It was laying out there. I thought to myself, we got food. We got more than enough ourselves. Is God not going to take care of Take care of the birds. He's not going to take care of us. That's the simple logic Jesus says. He does going about this. Generally speaking, his people are not starving. Ian McFarland recent. Won't tell a story about Ian. It's gonna be good. Right. I was in Sunday school this morning and uh Cindy Mark Penny's class and Mark was teaching telling the kids about how God knows. About those all things. He says, it knows how many hairs we have on our head. And Mark was pointing at his head and saying, How many hairs I don't have on my head? You know, I lost a lot of, lost a lot of my hair, Mark was saying. And uh, Ian said, Well, uh, you know, hey, he knows the hair on your beard too. You know, be encouraged. He knows all the hairs on your head. That's right, Ian. Good job, buddy. He knows it all. We're told in Luke chapter 12, verse 6 and 7, Jesus says some of the same thing. Are not five sparrows, five birds, silver, two pennies? Are not one of them, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all known. Fear not. You are more valued than many sparrows. He knows how many hairs you have or don't have or used to have, and even in your beard, you know, he, he knows it all. You're, you're of more value than birds. Now, this is a biblical worldview. And he's called us back. He's saying, you've got to turn off the worry. You need to think biblically about how you see the world. 
Biblically is this. Is that unborn babies are alive. And they're worth more than dogs for adoption. And you hear these silly commercials about Amen. on TV about it. Okay? I know we're supposed to take care of animals and all that. But human life is worth more. A biblical worldview says people are the pinnacle of God's creation. And if God's going to take care of animals, Jesus says, if you're going to look at the world biblically, not worry, not be anxious, if you don't have a biblical worldview, you're going to think we're just like animals. And you're not going to know whether or not, you're not, you're not going to, you're not just, everything's just random and chance and we're not special in the eyes of God. But if you have a biblical worldview and realize you're created in the image of God, then you know that if He's taking care of the birds out there, He's going to take care of you. Otherwise, maybe it's, it's all random, it's all chance. We're not the product of evolution. We're created in the image of God. So trust your Father who created you, He says. So He says, look at the birds. The word literally. Worry is a literal waste of time. Look at verse 27. Verse 27 says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Some translations, over translations, say stature, as if by worrying you can add length to your height. And that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about how long you live. How many of you, by worrying, by being anxious, can extend your life? Of course you can't. It, it's, it literally is a waste of time. In fact, what does being worrisome and anxious do to you? Actually, it's bad for your health, isn't it? It actually affects you the opposite way. It can, it can reduce your life. It can cause ulcers. It can cause heart problems. All this stuff. And there are certain medical things we can do for ourselves to take care of ourselves. I'm not minimizing those things that some people need in some ways that others don't. Jesus says that the greatest cure for worry and anxiety is to think biblically about how you see the world. Remember this God who's created you. So worrying is literally a waste of time. Then he goes to another illustration in verse 28. If you look at your Bible, what's he talking about in verse 28? He's talking about flowers, lilies of the field. We believe, best we understand, that these might have been referring to, these lilies of the field may have been referring to wildflowers, just flowers. Right? I was out meeting the other day, about the mailbox, and we've got some flowers and stuff that's been planted there. They're dying because we've got water. And, uh, but there's some wildflowers that are doing just fine. I hear kids picking this week, there's some wildflowers that's doing just great. God and Jesus says, look out at those fields. If, if God closed that, I think Solomon, you know who Solomon was, King Solomon, the Old Testament, was one of the wealthiest and wisest, one of the wisest, was one of the wealthiest uh, leaders uh, of all Israel to have ever reigned. Not even Solomon was clothed like this, so why are you worried? Consider the lilies of the field, he says, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Now, birds, it's not as if the birds don't go out and they don't go looking for worms and scavenge them, right? That's what they're doing when they're hopping around in your yard. But flowers are even more passive. Flowers aren't hopping around. They're not toiling. They're not spinning. They're not doing anything to make themselves grow. They're not like, oh, look at me. I'm growing into a flower. 
They're just popping up. It's just happening. And they're beautiful, especially a whole field of them when you pass by them on the road. And Jesus simply saying, just, just look biblically. Do you think that's the product of a, of a great explosion or something? This is your God who created that. If he, if he made things so beautiful that way, don't you think He's going to clothe you? Do you think your mind needs to be consumed? Now, in our context, in our culture, we're more consumed about having the, 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 you know, the nicest genes when we go back to school in a few weeks. We're not worried about not having any clothes at all where we live, right? We're more, our worry is more about having things that we, that we want rather than we need to offer. Some people are not in that case, but many are. Probably most are right here where we live. So this is a review. Unlike flowers, your soul is going to live forever. First Peter chapter 1, verse 24 through 25, will live forever either in heaven or in hell. First Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25 says this, All flesh is like, remember the words, grass. All flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So unlike the flowers of the field that are here today, then bundled up back in that Bible time, they'd be bundled up kind of like firewood, but they'd be bundled up because there wasn't enough wood. They would, they would throw that grass to, to heat their oven so they could cook and so forth. Just like that grass is, is here today and gone tomorrow, so, so is our bodies. But, our, but we have a soul. We're not flowers. We're not grass in the field. And our soul is, is going to live forever, either in heaven or hell. And the word that's been preached to us is the good news that if we believe in Christ, we have eternal life with Him in heaven. So trust your Father who created you. Little faith leads to lots of worry. This is how it ends this section in verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, are you looking at your Bible, what's it say? But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is to alive and, to, and tomorrow is stone together, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So what's the whole issue? It's, it's trust. It's trust in God. Folks, some of the strongest believers I know. God, people I know, people that battle with anxiety. I know, I talk to them, I counsel Sometimes I am that one. Get anxious and worried sometimes. So this doesn't mean that this person is not saved. This person is a young believer and that kind of thing. There are certain things that people battle with. issue still for all of us is it's a lack of trust. Sometimes I think those that are pursuing God are harvest are often targets of Satan when it comes to depression or anxiety and fear. There's some strongest Christians I know that, that battle with fear and anxiety the most are some of the strongest Christians. God is telling all of us to trust the Father who created us. He's telling us not just to trust the Father who created us, but He's telling us to trust him. Trust our Father if you're a believer. Trust your Father who's called you. 
Not only has God created us in His image, He's called us to Himself to have a relationship with Him. Called us to what? A relationship. He's called us, what's He calling us? He's called us children. We're not all God's children. I'm hurt your creation, we're His creation, but we're not all His children. We don't all have that special relationship with Him. Yet He's saying His disciples are His children. Notice the distinction here in verse 31. Look at your Bible in verse 31 quickly. Therefore do not be anxious in any sense, saying, What should we eat, or what should we drink, or what should we wear? Verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after these things. What's it say in the rest of Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So there's this distinction here, and I want you to think about this verse for just a moment. There's a distinction being made here in this verse that there are Gentiles, in other words, the world is in what he's talking about. If you look at Luke chapter 12, verse 20, he's talking about nations, the world, pagans, people that don't believe in God, God of Israel. See, this is how the world thinks. The world is seeking, consumed with, absorbed in things they want or things they even need. The distinction here is we're not to be that way. Your heavenly, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. He's not the Heavenly Father of everybody in the world. He's the Heavenly Father of you. You're not to be as the world. There's a distinction here. He has called you out of them. How did He do that? Well, He justified you. He made you right with Himself. He adopted you. He made you His children. So our Father knows what we need. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how should He not freely with Him give us all things? If He's, if he's done what's necessary to make us right with Himself, to adopt us into His family, will He not take care of everything else? So our BBS verse this week, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So for those of us that have been called out of the world, He's given us all things that we need, all things that are necessary to live the Christian life. So trust your Father who has called you by being distinct from the world. The world worries. The world, the world gets anxious. The world is consumed with things, material things. But not the case with us. It shouldn't be. Look at chapter Matthew chapter 5, verse 46 in your Bible real quickly. Verse 46 says this, For if you love those who love you, Brother Tim Johnson preached on this a few weeks ago, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what, what more are you doing than others? Not even the Gentiles do the same. Tax collectors do the same. Gentiles do the same. He's saying, you're not to be the same. You're distinct. You're different. I've called you to myself. So love people this way. Don't retaliate, he's saying there. And he's saying here, trust me, don't be like the world. 
And when you do this, then you're doing verse 33. Look at your Bible in verse 33 of Matthew 6. What does he call us to do? He calls us to some action. He says in verse 33, seek first, seek first. The kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. What's it mean to be seeking the first kingdom of God? Yay, ho, yeah! Hey, kingdom of God, where are you? We're looking for you. We can't find you. Is the kingdom of God playing hide and seek from us? We're just kind of looking for it. We don't know where it's at. No, Jesus came and said, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is no secret. He's the treasure hidden in a field that a man would see it and sell all that he's got because the lights would come over in his heart and say, I want Jesus. My family may not want him. I don't know. I, I just something's happened inside of me and I can't do anything but follow Christ now. He's the treasure. So when he says, seek the kingdom of God, he's not saying, hey, go look for something that's mysterious. You know, Jesus came made it clear and plain. It's the same gospel Paul preached. What he's saying when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, is he's saying, be absorbed in the kingdom of God. Let this be your entire focus. Just like he said earlier in last week's passage. Be absorbed with it. Focus on it. Treasure it. Be devoted. Serve Him only. Can't serve two masters. Be loyal to Him. Seek first, be absorbed in the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What's this mean? What's He been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount? His righteousness. You've heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. And I say, if you look at a woman to lust, you've committed adultery already with her in your heart. True righteousness is, a, is a being right with God, it's not defined outwardly in external adherence to laws, it goes to the very heart. Seek first the kingdom of God means he's simply saying you're not seeking justification, you're seeking sanctification. Seek to be holy by the way God defines it. So what he's saying is this. Instead of worrying, stop, stop being anxious. Seek the kingdom of God. Be absorbed in being a holy people. And doing what pleases the Lord. Seeking the kingdom of God. Tell people about Christ to be part of that. But living out the gospel in a distinct way as Jesus has defined it here on the Sermon on the Mount by not retaliating, by not harboring anger in your heart, but going to your brother and reconciling. This is the righteousness. This is seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. When you're absorbed with doing what pleases God, then the worry and anxiety can turn off. Experience. A lot of times, or sometimes I get I get things on my mind. I can't I can't get it off my mind. You're probably like me. There's, there's times or seasons, you know, we talk about that sometimes, seasons of life I go through. I have periods of time I go through something going on. Usually it's something going on in the church. And I get anxious about it. And I can't sleep. I can't I, I can go to sleep eventually, but I mean you can go two, three hours. Now some people seem to have the spiritual gift of sleep, man. They just, no matter what's going on, they're just snoring right away as soon as we're headed to kill it. I never been like that. I struggle. Um, sometimes I have the thought when I'm going through that season of worry and anxiety about a particular situation. I have this thought, man, what am I do? I get my mind on something else. Let's get my mind on something else on the kingdom of God. I mean, I am. Paul said he was worried. He was anxious about the condition of the churches. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about that. 
So, so listen, there's some things that are good to be anxious about and concerned about. Right? We should be anxious absorbed in the things of God. That's why that's where this battle comes in. But sometimes I have this thought, maybe I should just go out and talk to my neighbor about Jesus. I don't feel like I feel like just letting myself have a pity party right now. But a lot of times when God's been gracious and led me by a spirit to maybe engage somebody in evangelism, and the joy of, of being nourished of that spiritual food makes it anxiety and sustains me. Sustains, sustains me. So he's not called us to hide and seek. In contrast to seeking the things of God, I, the things I'm worried about may be something I really might lose. When I'm anxious about the things of God, I'm seeking the kingdom of God. Is there anything I can seek in the kingdom of God I'm going to lose? You got the wrong theology when I say yes. Believe what the Bible teaches. You know that anything God's promised to those who are believers is never going to be taken away from them. But if I'm worried and I'm anxious, then I'll probably worry something anxious about something I might really lose, which could be my job, which is not really a good thing. But I, no matter what happens, I was thinking about it, I was thinking, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Jesus is my life this morning. It's like a little lost there. You'd have to break your the gospel would have to not be the gospel. So the worst thing that can happen to me is not going to happen. That's not me saying it, that's what the scripture says. There's nothing going to happen to us. Verse 34, very quickly says this. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Suspicion for the days of its own trouble. Got nothing to worry about right now. You don't need to worry about anything. Don't, don't bring tomorrow's troubles into today's. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. So what's he saying to do? Instead of worrying about tomorrow, do verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God. Just seek the kingdom of God. If you can't change what's going to happen tomorrow, you're going to be solid. So last night on the back of the porch, I was. I can spend some time by myself. Man, look, and I stay here. Sitting on the back porch, enjoying that, reading the Bible a little bit. Looked up at the moon. I was walking on the back porch, looked up at the moon, and started to come out. I reminded, as soon as I saw that moon, it reminded me of being in the military, walking around in the desert, looking at the moon, spending time on guard duty. I spent a couple hours of time by myself on the guard duty, looking up at the moon. I just talked to God. Right? The whole time, I just talked to him and prayed to him. Being a teenager and so forth, different things on my mind, and just been enjoying that time too. And I looked at it and I remember that and I thought about it. God, that moon looks pretty much the same as it did 25 years ago. And God has sustained me every day. He sustained me through a lot of things, through a lot of sin. He's been patient with me too. God justified me, He adopted me into His family. He's given me every spiritual blessing in heavenly places as He has you if you're a believer. He's promised that those He's called, He's also going to glorify. He's promised that there's no charge can be brought against God's elect, that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. 
That's what I've experienced in the day he saved me. So I was looking up at the moon last night and I thought it was faithful. It's not going to be fast. Folks, what God saved in this passage trip is to think biblically. <clears throat> to think biblically. He's created you. He's going to take care of you. He's called you. He's going to hold you fast. He's going to sustain you. Trust in Him. Trust in His promises. Mark and Sydney, when I was in their class this morning, I went with this. Mark asked me a question in front of the kids. He said, Pastor, and talk about Paul's conversion. Pastor, how easy would it, it have been for you to preach two days after your conversion? When I, when I got saved, I haven't shared my testimony too often in church, not for any other reason than that, I guess, but I was saved when I was a very young boy. I was almost five years old. I can't imagine any of my children who were almost five years old understanding the gospel at that point. That doesn't happen very often, but looking back, I believe it did. And uh, I remember after professing faith in Jesus, I wanted on the way home to stop and tell everyone about what God had done in my heart. I wanted to stop and tell my neighbors and friends. And it wasn't just that day, it was after that too. I, I talked to kids on the playground at school, and I still sin and struggle with things, but God had, God had saved me. So I said to Mark, we asked that question. Two days after conversion, how easy it would have been to preach to a five-year-old. It would have been easy. In fact, about six of the first sermon Easter egg outreach. I told the preacher I wanted to say something. I got up on what I said. I think it's biblical. I'm not going to tell people I need to repent to the Jesus. And that's biblical. So the reason I said, Mark, it's not going to be hard is because he said, why? It's because I was excited. I had joy that, that God had adopted me and my family. I didn't understand it all like I do now. It's what I have come to understand since that day for sure. But I had joy, an exceeding joy, that led me to be focused on the kingdom. So what I want to say to us as I close this morning is seize the ordinary means of grace. Take a walk outside, look at what God's created, and not just that, but think about how He has saved you. Think about these gospel promises. Meditate on these things, the way not to, not to be overcome Worry and anxiety is to be consumed with the thought that God's created you and God has saved you. Very Perhaps this morning, this before I pray, perhaps it's, I need to pause for just a moment to say that if you're here today and you're not sure that Jesus is King of your life and your Lord and Savior of the Bible. Command you to repent, to turn from your sins and trust only in Jesus Christ. He died for your sins on the cross. He rose again three days later, proving that He's paid for your sins and accepted by the Father. That what Jesus did is satisfied by the Father. What you're doing is not satisfied by God. God is not satisfied with you or Jesus. You need to put all your trust in Jesus. If you would like to talk about that, we can talk about that. Now, as we sing a song, follow the service, I'll be standing back for the time. I'd love to talk with you about how God may be at work. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your care for us. Help us to trust you. Help my church family 
hard not to think about the future for us, Lord. We know we're afraid. We know it's the best. You're so compassionate to speak in this world. Remind us we don't need to catch us. We're more valuable than anything in creation. And that you call us to yourself, that you love us. Be so gracious to remind us of these things, baby. We call we can save you so as we can. So in Jesus' name, I'm going to stand right now and sing together.